Uh, my name is Aaron. It's good to be with you today. And before we get started, I do want to make something clear, and that is I am still a sinner. Still a sinner. Nothing special about me. Um, one of my worst sins, actually, is that when me and my wife, um, when we don't get along, then one of my worst sins is that I tend to back away um, because I think she dislikes me. I, get to, I tend to put distance between me and people who I think dislike me. Um, but you know, God is good. We have a great Savior in Jesus, and I hope that you can see him today as we listen to his word. Uh, we already read our passage together. Um, it's John 7, 1 through 24. And the title of our sermon is Correction, Confrontation, and Condemnation, the Glory of God on Display as Christ Dwells Among Us. The important thing that you need to know before we dig into our passage is it's taking place during this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a party. And tabernacle means to dwell. It's a feast celebrating God dwelling with his people when they were wandering in the wilderness. God was being faithful to them. So it's a feast, a festival for God's faithfulness. That's important, okay? So write that down, all of that stuff. Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths. Tabernacle means to dwell, and it's to celebrate God's faithfulness. And this is the question that I want you to be thinking about as we read our passage again. The question is, what is the driving force behind Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles? What's moving him? What's propelling him forward? What's pushing him into people? The people at the party, they were already mad at Jesus. They wanted to kill him. It was a very serious situation. And so what was driving Jesus to move towards these people who wanted to kill him. I think that when we see our passage, we will see the heart of our Savior, and hopefully we see the glory of God, and it will lead us to worship. So keep that question in mind as we read. We're going to read our passage again, and we're going to take it in three chunks. And as we read, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think that John, the author of this book, is painting a picture for us. He's painting a picture of Jesus. He's going to give us an impression of who he is. And these three movements, they're going to be layers in the painting. So after all these three layers, we should see the big picture, the fuller picture, the big idea of what John is trying to say to us. So let's read this together. In this first layer, we're going to see Jesus corrects his brothers. Jesus corrects his brothers. Okay, and I have it here too for you. In case you don't have your Bibles, I do encourage you to bring your Bibles. This is worship service, so please bring your Bibles and a notebook to church. Let's read this together. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of Uz, or the feast of tabernacles, was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, 
but it hates me because I testify about it that its roots are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And so this first layer, what we see, is Jesus corrects his brothers. Write that down. The first layer that we see is that Jesus corrects his brothers. Jesus had brothers. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus had brothers. Their names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. And at this point, none of them are believers. So I want us to hear the intention behind their words. This is what I did. I wrote the verse out for you, and I folded these special words so you can see into what they're really saying. His brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Do you hear in their voice this desire to be known, to be seen, to be shown, to be recognized? I think that's the main point that we want to see here. You see, Galilee, it wasn't a famous place. It wasn't well known. It wasn't a place that people would be proud of. It was shameful to be from there. And so if Jesus can go to this feast, and if Jesus can be recognized, it would put Galilee on the map. His family would be honored. We know, though, that these brothers, they didn't want Jesus to be known as the Messiah. They didn't want him to be known as God. And we know that because it says not even his brothers believed in him. They wanted Jesus to be recognized for something other than being God. They had the wrong reasons for recognition. Let's read this next part right here. So the brothers talk. Jesus is responding to them. He says, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So Jesus, he's talking about time. And you can see every single time he mentions that word. His time, Jesus' time, his timetable, is God's plan for him to go to the cross. So Jesus says, hey, if I go to the feast now and you want me to be recognized and show off, that's not God's plan. If I do that, they're going to crucify me, and it's not time for that yet. I know they want to kill me, but it's not yet God's time. So Jesus corrects his brothers, and this is the irony behind all of this. They wanted Jesus to be recognized, but they themselves didn't recognize him as their Messiah. They didn't recognize him as God. So when this first layer, when this first painting, this first sect is done, we see that Jesus corrects his brothers and their wrong reasons for recognition. Jesus corrects his brothers and their wrong reasons for recognition. Have you ever done anything where you think you're doing it for God, but you find out that you're actually doing it for yourself? I think we can make a connection here. Whether it's leading worship, preaching or teaching, being a Sunday school teacher, leading at Christian club, Praying in public, doing speaker's tournament, 
it's easy for us to get distracted and to have the wrong reasons for recognition. Jesus sees these reasons and he corrects you. He calls you to align your agenda with God's. We see that Jesus privately goes to this party anyways. And remember, what is the driving force behind his moving towards this feast, even after correcting his brothers? We'll move on to our next layer. And in this next layer, it's Jesus confronts the Jews. Jesus confronts the Jews. Write that down. Number two, Jesus confronts the Jews. Let's read this passage together. And again, I'm going to help you see the intention behind this. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So Jesus goes privately up to this feast. He goes to the temple, and he starts teaching. Jesus knows what he's doing. Remember, it's not his time yet to be killed, but he still wants to be seen there. So he goes up, he starts teaching, he draws attention to himself, and he's getting the Jews to ask questions. What kind of questions are they asking? What are they really saying when they ask him these things? The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? How is it that he knows so much when he never went to school? Where does he find these words to say as if he has some sort of power, authority behind his words? They're talking about his knowledge. They're talking about his education. Remember, Jesus was just a carpenter. He never had hardcore schooling or education. You can hear a sense of pride in their words, you can hear a sense of superiority in their questions. And if you read the text, it seems like they're just talking amongst themselves. They're not really talking to Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus knows what they're saying. He hears their hearts. And Jesus confronts what they're really thinking. Let, let's see how Jesus answers them, okay? Let's see this. Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So the Jews, they were talking about Jesus' academic training. But Jesus shifts the focus. He looks into their heart and he says, I know what you're really thinking. You're not talking about my academic training. You're more concerned about my authority. Who am I to be talking to you as if I'm some teacher? It's not about who teaches the law anymore. Jesus makes it about who wrote the law. Okay, It's not about who teaches the Bible anymore. Jesus makes it about who wrote 
the Bible. And it's not about teaching it per se, but now it's about obeying and submitting and to loving the one who actually authored it. The Jewish teachers are questioning Jesus's credentials, and Jesus says instead to look at his character. Jesus teaches for the glory of God, but he knows that these Jewish leaders, they teach for their own glory. He sees their hearts, and this is the irony. Even though they were the authorities, they were the teachers, they didn't recognize Jesus as their own authority. They didn't recognize him as the master teacher. They didn't surrender to him as God. They wanted to kill him. And so when our second layer is set, when our second movement of this picture is being painted, we see that Jesus confronts the Jews' selfish ambition and their self-exaltation. They were selfish. They only wanted to do things for themselves, and they wanted to see themselves be high and lifted up. They weren't caring about God and to see him be glorified. Are you in pursuit of your own glory? Have you ever done anything for yourself where you want to be the smartest in the room? You need to have the best grades. You need to be first chair all the time. You need to be the best. You need to have the highest paycheck. You need to have the most followers and likes and comments. This is seeking your own glory. Everything you do has the goal of making much of yourself. Jesus calls you now to stop chasing fame, stop chasing popularity, stop chasing the approval of the world, stop chasing the American dream, and chase what God wants for you. Look for God and his glory. Look to make Jesus supreme. Seek the glory of God in all that you do. You see that Jesus is, is kind of escalating things a little bit now. First, the brothers just kind of, you know, wanted to suggest something for, from him, and then he just, you know, kindly corrects them. But now he's actually confronting these Jewish authorities. Why doesn't Jesus back down? Why does he keep pushing forward into the fight? Let's look at our next layer, and this is our final layer. Hopefully it gives us the full picture. Jesus condemns the crowd. Number three, write this down. Jesus condemns the crowd. In this layer, we're going to see what Jesus has to say to this crowd that's forming around him. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Jesus gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so you can see here that I try to highlight these important words that Jesus is saying. Jesus sees that this crowd that's forming is getting angry. It's not just the Jewish leaders anymore. He's drawing everybody to him, and he's upsetting people. Jesus said, you need to do these things. You don't really see who I am, and they're calling him names. They call him crazy. They call him a lunatic. They say, who are you to say these things? You're paranoid. And they start questioning him. Then they, they, they say, what do you mean we want to kill you? There's a little bit more to this story. 
back in John chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus healed a man, and it was the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work. You're supposed to rest. But Jesus, he does a miracle. He heals a man on the Sabbath. And the leaders, they get mad at him. They say, dude, why are you healing this man? You know you're not supposed to do anything on this day. Shame on you. You deserve to be killed for that. And Jesus says that. That's a little bit extreme. That's a little bit extreme. There is the law of Moses. And you guys, you Jewish authorities, you say that circumcision is okay to be done on the Sabbath. Circumcision. Uh, it's a cleaning rite, it's a ritual rite, and it's okay for them to do it on the Sabbath. So it's a, if it's okay for them to do this small circumcision rite, but it's not okay for Jesus to do an actual miracle, something's wrong there. They're not getting the full picture. They're not understanding Jesus and his heart for people. You can see that Jesus sees the heart of the hateful crowd they are making their own rules. It's legalism. It's hypocrisy. Jesus sees it all, and he's condemning them now. And this is the irony. By their judging the Son of God, by their judging the Son of God, they end up being the ones being judged by the Son of God. They make the judgment, but in actuality, Jesus ends up judging them. They, they, they condemn themselves because they're making this absurd claim. They think that Jesus is breaking the law, but they couldn't see that in their own hearts, they wanted to kill Jesus. That, that's an ultimate breaking of the law. Thou shalt not kill. So they, they're blind to this. They don't understand what Jesus is telling them. With misconceptions and erroneous conclusions, they condemn themselves. And so when our third layer is set, we see that Jesus condemns the crowd's unjust judgment and superficial standards. It's unjust judgment and superficial standards. How do you make decisions in your life? How do you make decisions in your life? Do you have your own judgment for how you should live? Do you have your own superficial standards on how you should live in this world? Do you just go with what the world says is right and wrong? Or do you actually measure it against God's word and what he says is right and wrong? You think about things like abortion. You think about things like homosexuality and the transgender debate. Do you make up your own rules and do you let the world decide what's right and wrong? Or do you measure it? against God's word. If you live by your own moral compass, you kill God in your heart, and you replace him with yourself. This will condemn you. Christ is calling you now to know and to cling to truth. You must know and cling to truth. So we go back to our big question. What was Jesus' driving force in going to the Feast of Tabernacles. You can, you can see this, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to find the common thread between these three groups and what Jesus is doing. First, Jesus corrects wrong reasons for recognition. Second, Jesus confronts selfish ambition and self-exaltation. And third, Jesus condemns unjust judgment and superficial standards. 
What's the common thread between these three groups? I think this is the common thread. All the groups were blind in their unbelief. Were blind in their unbelief. They didn't see Jesus as their savior. They failed to recognize their redeemer. They could not make out Jesus as their Messiah. They didn't see him as God. Jesus is here correcting and confronting and condemning, but they still don't get it. They don't see that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, by correcting, confronting, and condemning, Jesus told the truth about who he was. He was showing them reality. Jesus came to dwell among us to display his divinity. He wanted to show them that he was God. And in doing so, he wanted to show them God's glory. The Jews were at the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast that God's supposed to dwell with his people, a party to celebrate God dwelling with them. But the Jews didn't want to dwell with God. They wanted to kill him. Their hard hearts blinded them to the reality of who he truly was and what he came to do. They couldn't see his glory. The big irony in all of this is that people didn't actually need to go to the temple to worship God. God was already dwelling among them. When Jesus was just walking among the crowds, when Jesus was just hanging out with his brothers, when Jesus was teaching people and when he was doing miracles, God was already dwelling with his people. They didn't see it. They didn't recognize it. They were blind. Jesus was going about his mission. God was dwelling about his people, and they couldn't get it. Jesus is the true and better tabernacle to dwell among his people. Hopefully this verse puts it into context for you. Okay? The driving force behind Jesus was that he wanted to show his divinity, and the glory of God. That's the answer to our big question. And hopefully this is the verse that puts it all together for you. John 1.15 And the word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is our big idea for today. By correcting, confronting, and condemning, Jesus dwells among us to display his divinity and the glory of God. By correcting, confronting, and condemning, Jesus dwells among us to display his divinity and the glory of God. Do you see the glory of God in Jesus today? If you see Jesus' glory today, you can be saved. You can see him as your savior. You can confess your sin, and you can say, Jesus, I see you as God. I know you died on the cross for me. Forgive me for my sins, please. I know that you resurrected, and I can have eternal life with you now. I can dwell with you in heaven, and the Holy Spirit can dwell in me. You can be saved. And Jesus will be with you forever. He will not leave you, and he will not condemn you. In Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There's only peace. There's only joy. There's comfort. 
Jesus can be yours. Here are some general applications for you to help you see and surrender to Jesus. First, know Jesus better. Get to know him through his word. You need to see him as he's displayed in the Bible. That's how we see him. That's how we see his glory. That's how we know who he is. You need to get to know Jesus better. You also need to have humble hearts. Jesus condemns pride. A hardened heart God does not accept. Only broken and uncontrite hearts God wants. You need to come to him humbly. You need to submit to his authority. And finally, you need to meet him on his terms. You can't make up the rules. You need to see what Jesus has to say, and you need to obey it. Don't listen to the world. Don't let your heart tell you what to do. Don't think you know what God is saying, but find out what God is really saying. And submit to it, surrender to it. When you do this, you will see God's glory. Gaze at it. Don't look away. Keep looking to Jesus. As the Gospel of John takes us closer to Calvary, we're going to see tensions rise. We're going to see hostility increase. And people, they will eventually kill Jesus. But this isn't the end of the story. I want to give you a word of hope. There is more to the story. We're going to fast forward in time, and we're going to go to James 1.1. Turn to James. Turn to James. Remember I told you that Jesus had brothers? Their names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, not Iscariot. Let's see what happens. James 1.1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see? The brother of Jesus is now a believer. He finally saw Jesus for who he really was. There's hope for a brother of Jesus to put down his wrong reasons for recognition. Wherever you see yourselves in the brothers or in the Jewish authorities or in the crowds, there's hope for you too. Jesus brings you grace and truth today. If you open your eyes, you will see the glory of Jesus as he dwells among us through his word and through his church. If you hear him now, there's hope for you. When my wife and I get into disagreements and we don't get along, I tend to distance myself. I tend to put space between us. But what brings us back together is that I want to dwell with her again. I want to show her who I really am. I want to tell her the truth about myself. And that is that I love her. I want to be with her. I want to be around her. I want to dwell with her. But Jesus is not like me. His love for his people is perfect. Instead of backing away, Jesus comes close. He keeps pressing in. He shows you who he is, and he tells you the truth about himself. Jesus speaks grace and truth into your life because he cares for you. Our deliverer dwells with his people. By correcting, confronting, and condemning, Jesus dwells among us to display his divinity and the glory of God. If you see his glory, there is reason to celebrate. There is reason to rejoice reason to feast. Let's pray.
the Word came flesh and dwelt among glory at the Feast of Booths. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is full of grace and truth. Our wrongful reasons, self-exalting, you correct and you confront. You stood condemned for those who come in faith and place their trust. And if we were to ask you, Lord, help us with our unbelief, would you give us minds and eyes to know and clearly see? But most of all, give us a heart to treasure, cherish, prize one who loves and never leaves our faithful Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.